Welcome to Bangalore Revival Center. A church dedicated to loving God and serving people. Today, we have all the BRC pastors on the Q&A panel addressing the questions from the church. If you had similar questions, we hope and believe this will answer and help clear your doubts today. So who'd like to be the first person to ask the question? Okay, Sangeeta. A mic to Sangeeta. By the way, all the easy questions to me, the hard questions to them. Because I have been preaching all through the year, so, you know, all the hard questions, they'll answer. Uh, so it's about uh, Goliath, uh, David, and Samuel. So Goliath gives a challenge uh, saying that, uh, you know, send one man to fight against me. If I lose, the whole Philistines will be yours. Uh, uh, and if you lose, the whole of Israel is mine. So it's a very pretty uh, serious challenge. And uh, while I read, you know, always I believe that... Uh, why no one from the army even dared to do is because they don't want to risk their whole country, not just about uh, them getting killed. Because anybody in the army, they shouldn't be fearing about getting killed. I think uh, the matter here is more of uh, putting the whole of the country at stake, you know. And, uh, um, and uh, David was a small boy and uh, not, not very small, should be uh, some youngster or something like that. Um, but uh, the question here I have is, what made Saul to believe that David will go? And uh, you said that uh, Saul even forgot that he was a man of wars. Uh, but I have a question on that because um, making a king, you know, like Saul taking a decision that David will go and represent Israel and he will kill the Goliath and give a victory. That is a great faith that he has to put it on David. So what made Saul to believe so much on David? Hmm. That's a very interesting question. What made Saul trust and believe that David can do it? Yeah, right? if he fails, even including Saul, everybody has to become slave to Philistines. Right, right. So what made Saul trust David's uh, decision, David's desire to go into battle? Why don't you guys start? Go ahead, go ahead, start. Number one is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't in the mind of Saul to allow David to go because he doubted even himself. So for him to tell David, okay, go, means I believe the Holy Spirit have convinced him and tell him, let him go. Two, David said one word to Saul. He said, Saul asked him to take his shield. He said, I come in the name of Jehovah of Israel. So, David let Saul to understand, I believe in this same God who has given me the strength to defeat the lion and the bears in the jungle while taking care of the sheaves of my father. So, if God will give me victory, he is going to give me victory over Goliath. So, when we believe in the name of, mind you, David was not scared when he was telling Saul that he, he believed and he come in the name of Jehovah. The way he spoke it, you should see the boldness because whenever I read the scripture, I try to see the person's reaction, the person's mindset. So for David to utter such a word to such great king whom everyone is afraid of, without panic, there is a zeal so, so inside David that gives him the ability to give David the go-ahead. 
So these are my two answers. I believe it helps. I, I agree with that, that it, it, it may not necessarily be a, a logical, rational conversation that Saul had with his commanders that, okay, this guy is capable enough for us to send him to the battle. Because in no way was he physically, logically capable enough to fight that battle. But it had to be a conviction that, you know, this is the person that the Lord has. So it had to be a Holy Spirit-led conviction that Saul had to release David. Um, and also, on the other hand, we should understand that nobody else, even after being given, uh, you know, even after being given so many um, rewards for fighting this battle, no one else were willing to take something like that. So I, I think that Saul was also running out of options. He was running out of days. Because for a really long time, this has been going on that they've been, everything has been on hold. And see, when, it, when a siege happens, uh, what comes along with that is that your resources get, uh, you know, drained out and you do not have enough money, enough food. You do not have enough uh, people to continue to sustain. Every day, a few people from, will begin to leave from the army. So Saul was also running out of options. Saul was also running out of, uh, you know, anybody else to send. So when he saw that David was willing to go and fight, and he saw the evidence of God's spirit upon him. So when, uh, when he said that I have killed a lion and bear, I have killed a lion and I have killed a bear because I was uh, protecting my father's sheep. That was an evidence of God's presence over his life. Because one of the first things that happened to King Saul when the Holy Spirit came upon him is that he became a warrior. Do you know this? That he was a farmer. He was doing his regular farming. And one day he heard that uh, somebody from this land of Gilead or Gideon, you know, I, I forget the name of this place. Uh, they, they are coming to attack. They are attacking certain areas of Israel. The Bible says immediately the Spirit of God came upon Saul and he went out to fight them. And so he, he realized that when the Spirit of God came upon me, my first response was to go at my enemy instead of running away from them. So here is a young man who is willing to go at the enemy instead of running away from the enemy. So that was a sign that this person is in fact filled by the Spirit of God. He's anointed by God's presence. And so, so Saul would definitely have seen that and, and of course the conviction of the Holy Spirit that accompanied him. So, yeah. Uh, thank you. Uh, so as you said, uh, Pastor Kachi, God reminded me that the uh, heart of king is in God's hand. Absolutely. So God just, uh, even though in the physical world, you know, if you think it looks so illogical to put the whole country at stake, just to trust a boy like that, you know, who is, according to that person, he's not even a warrior. But I think it's a miracle, the hand of God that made everybody to say yes and move on and uh, even killing with some stones, uh, smooth stones, is, um, it's, it's very, you know, uh, it doesn't make sense if it is not from the Lord. So, thank you. Amen. Amen. Yes, brother there. Here.
Praise the Lord. Sorry, I want to ask this question, sir. Uh, please, can you help me appreciate uh, the grace and law? If you are under grace, do you mean you will not obey the law? That is my question, sir. Thank you. Difficult questions, these three, Lance. <laughs> Jesus said it like that, that I, so this is Jesus telling, okay? Now, do you believe that whatever Jesus says, we need to obey? Yes. All right. So Jesus says, I did not come to abolish. abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. All right. So even though we are under grace, that doesn't mean we should not obey the law. In fact, Jesus gave more laws, he gave more principle, he gave more teaching. So, you know, we should be, I believe that we should be more accountable, we should be more, uh, uh, I don't know the right word, but yes, you should follow the law, the teachings of Jesus, the principle he gave, right? And uh, Jesus never came to abolish the law, but yes, there were few laws that were given to us in the Old Testament, which Jesus fulfilled, okay? So for example, uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, we used to sacrifice, you know, we had so many sacrifices, peace sacrifice, guilt offering, and, and, uh, and you know, uh, we had a lot of sin offering, but Jesus paid uh, the ultimate sacrifice for us. So, yes, we don't have to sacrifice now, but uh, the, the Ten Commandments, it's an Old Testament law, and Jesus fulfilled it in the New Testament as well. So that's what I believe. We have to obey the law. Okay. Just to add to that, now there are different kinds of laws. Okay. There is a law, which is the law of Moses. And there is a law of the Spirit. So in the New Testament, although we are under grace, we have to obey the law of the Spirit. Let me give you this verse. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 and 2. Can, can you just put it up from the... Okay. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The next line. For the law... Come on, read it out loud. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of... So there are two laws, right? There is a law of life and there is a law of sin and, sin and death. So this law of the spirit of life or the law of the spirit, that law is the law that we have to follow now. So what many people say is now that we are under grace, there is no law. See, the whole principle of saying no law is to say that so there is no more rules. You can do whatever you want. You can be however you want to be. And there is no, no restrictions to anything. Okay, you can just be free. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we are no longer under the law of sin and death. What is the law of sin and death? The law that was given by Moses on Mount Sinai. That is thousands of years back when he went up. The Bible says anybody that went close to the mountain would be put to death. That is the law of sin and death. And uh, everything in that law was about how you have to be killed if you don't do certain things. 
But everything in the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is that if you will believe and if you will trust, you will experience life. It was more about you receiving life and answers and solutions when you follow the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So, so we are no longer under the law of Moses. So we have been freed by grace. We are under grace, but no longer under the law of Moses. But we are still obligated to obey the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So when Jesus came, he upgraded the Old Testament law. He said, hey guys, now you can't just say that if you kill a person, you are a murderer. Now if you hate a person, you are a murderer because it's no longer about what you do outside. It's about what you are on the inside. Because it's a, it's a matter of the spirit. It's not just a matter of what you are doing with your hands. It's a matter of how you consider what are the things that you believe on the inside of you. Uh, so if you have looked at a woman with lust, you have already committed adultery. Because it's no longer just about a physical act. It is about what you feel and believe and think about in your heart. So we are no longer under the law of Moses, which means that if, if somebody hates somebody, we are not going to put that person to death. Because in, under the law of Moses, if there is a murderer, we have to put that person to death. So we are not under that law by that means that we are not going to have the same consequences. But we are under the law of, of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. What does the law of Jesus say? Hey, if somebody has a hate, if somebody has a problem with somebody, go and get restored. Come, give me your burdens. Let me carry your burdens for you. And, and you take my burden. You take the grace that I give you. You take the love that I give you that help you to overcome the challenge or the problem that you're facing. So, so adding to what Pastor Robin said, yes, we are obligated to, to keep the law. Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law and to establish the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Amen. So, um, if you look, uh, law, law is, is more like a standard which God has set for us, you know, which means you have to fall in this category. That's why uh, you're called a son and daughter of a Lord, wherein grace is a protection that we all live under. Yeah. It's like a coverage that we live under. The moment we are out of grace, uh, you know, we are not, uh, not there in the whole bigger plan of what God really meant for us. So law is a standard wherein grace is a protection. Mm. So when we, when we receive that grace, we have the ability to in fact keep this law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So God is not telling you, okay, do this, this, this these things and just figure out, go for a Bible study, just figure out how to do this. But God is saying, I'm going to give you the grace, my empowering presence in your life, in your heart to be able to do what I'm asking you to do. That is grace. That is the difference between grace and law. And uh, I also believe uh, law is something that uh, makes us different from the world. Because we've been given, or rather, uh, if you put across this few points which God has already set as a part only for us, and when we follow that, we are essentially following what God has asked us to do. Mm. Which you don't see happening in the world. I hope you understand what I'm saying. 
there's a difference what we do and what world does. So that law sets it apart. And of course, as Pastor said, the grace part, you know, mm. is so important that we all have to be under that. Amen. Thank you. Lucy, so when you're, when you're asking a question, can you just say, my name is so-and-so and so that everybody gets to know everybody? Is that okay? Yes. Okay. Hey guys, my name is Lucy. <laughs> yeah, my question is for all of y'all. I want to know which character from the Bible do y'all connect with the most? Not your favorite character. Not your favorite, but a character that y'all connect with the most and why? I want to say Jesus. <laughs> uh, but um, you, you meant like personally? Uh, the second best character that I would go with is Nehemiah. Uh, just because of his, uh, you know, the heart that he had to come and serve his city while uh, that was not even required for him to do. You know, that was not his mission or that was not his agenda in his whole life. But he made that his agenda to come for a city uh, in a time when it was distressed, in a time it was haywire, everything was... Uh, you know, not in place, but they came and built that wall. Uh, not just that, but as a leader, you know, if you if you look at him, he's someone who can uh, change the whole uh, direction of where the city was headed to. You know, so I think that's my favorite character. If you say after Jesus, okay. You want to take? I'll think by then. <laughs> Okay, uh, for me, I have two people. Uh, one is Father Abraham. Uh, father Abraham is a father of the nation. And is a blessing carrier. He carries the blessings that flow all over the world, as we know from the book of Genesis. And the reason of this is not because I chose to, but it was a revelation that was revealed to me who I am. And... Uh, is always in that place to help and is always standing even to the people whom he's not supposed to you know giving and helping him to them looking at uh, his uh, cousin lot you know if you see how much abraham went interceding you know standing in gap with him he offered a sacrifice to god that most of us would not even want to do today because the reason why I say he offered the sacrifice, when he was willing that he took up the knife up to, you know, to kill the son, means he has already done it in his heart. He sacrificed a lot. And that have taken me to a place I said, nothing, that this, nothing in this world that matters to me again. I can sacrifice anything just to be where he is. And the reason why I Apostle Paul was the second person. Apostle Paul does not operate in one office. He operates in different offices. So when I look at his character and see his sacrifice also, man, a man was beaten, you know, locked in jail. Still, he praised God. He tells people, look, for my sake, the gospel has been preached. Even if they preach it out of jealousy, it doesn't matter. So, I'm ready to go with everything I have because there is a man like this who encountered Christ even while he was persecuting the church. 
So I have seen myself in this place of Apostle Paul. You know, I was one of those people, I'm sorry to say this. You know, I used pastors to make mockery in those days. I live with Muslims. You know, when we talk about pastors, how they preach, how they, you know. I even say to myself, I don't trust pastors because of what I encountered while I was growing up. But I never knew that who I, who I am. But when the Lord opened my eyes and showed me, this is who you are. These two people, they are the people you have to pursue. And uh, yeah, Jesus is our first role model. And I'm the person I, you know, hungering, desire, you know, fighting every day, is my spiritual father. <laughs> you know, I often say this to my wife, the how much he pour himself to serve God and how much he sacrifice. I tell my wife, I can't do this, this is too much. He doesn't rest. So, if I can grow to those places of these three people, these four people, man, I'll be so happy. I'm still growing. So, these are my role models. Uh, I definitely look up to and, and uh, Jesus uh, in the Bible. Uh, and uh, uh, it's very hard to, to say because I learn from every Bible character. Uh, and I also learn from the people around me. So, you know, uh, right now, honestly speaking, my, uh, my role model that I look up to is my spiritual father, Pastor Shaiju Matthew. And uh, uh, from the Bible, it's hard because, uh, you know, I can't pick one because everybody is unique. Everybody is distinct, uh, distinct and, you know, everybody had different anointing and God used everybody in a different way. So, uh, but if I have to pick one person whom I connect with the most is Moses. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I read uh, uh, about Moses and somewhere I feel, uh, and I like, you know, there have been prophecy over my life uh, where, where not one, at least three men of God has said like, uh, you are like Moses. So, you know, it's more like a prophecy over my life and the way I, I see Moses uh, and I learn through his life journey. Uh, don't he, there were ups and downs in his life, but to answer you, Moses is one Bible character. Amazing. Uh, for me, I, I think I'll also go with Apostle Paul uh, because when he preached, people slept and I'm also good at doing that. <laughs> so... Uh, they, in fact, used to say about Apostle Paul that he, he's not very good with words or he, he doesn't preach well. But when he writes a letter, he's very strong. And, but when he preaches, he doesn't... Uh, you know, there was once a time when he preached so long that one guy, he fell asleep and broke his neck because he fell from the first floor balcony, uh, you know, all the way down. So... I hope that doesn't happen in my life, but, but I have had my fair share of seeing people snore and all when I'm, when I'm teaching. But other than that, I, I've, I like his, um, the way that he refers to himself as a born servant of Jesus. You know, if you go on my Instagram profile, you would see that's, that's, the, that's what I call myself, a born servant or a slave of Jesus Christ. I mean, uh, you know, if you, you would see that that's the way that he titles himself everywhere. You know, wherever he writes a letter, he would say that I am somebody who is bonded as a servant to Jesus. 
you know, God has a lot of servants, but not a lot of bond servants. Uh, so that is my desire and that is something that I connect with a lot, saying I'd like to be that, you know. So, yeah, Apostle Paul. Partho, yes. Hi everyone, myself Partho. We know that the Genesis 6 verse 1, 4 says they are sons of God, like, and it's a saying that they are engaged with that unnatural union with the human woman. So this is a, there are a lot of doubts. I have checked also, we know the Goliaths and we know the generation Nephilim, and we know the Goliath's brothers. So, what is who are the sons of God? Like, I, I have this is my actually this is my question. Okay. Tough question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Pastor Patu, I the Bible talks about the fallen angels. I believe those are the sons of God that uh, you know went into having physical relationship with the people and the result in giving birth to giant who end up become a monster to the earth and if they were angels of god god wouldn't have destroyed the humanity god wouldn't have destroyed them all so i believe those are fallen angels who went into such action, according to the book of Genesis, when uh, Lucifer rebelled. He wasn't the only one who was sent down. There were lots of them. And uh, last time, that led us to understand that it's not all the angels who rebelled were released. There are those who are still bound in jail till now. So those whom God allowed to go, those are the light ones, those who are not very strong. And because of their loss to beauty of human, so they went into such action. So I believe those are, you know, fallen angels. Yeah. So, Pastor, what do you say? Pastor, uh, So I agree to what Pastor Kachi said. Uh, what I would recommend you to do is, uh, there's a YouTube channel called Superbooks. Okay, it's for kids. And there is a story of, of, of the creation on that. Uh, just go and watch that video. You, 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 just, visual... you just took my... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so, That's uh, a sign of how many pastors have kids in this panel. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know... Uh, it's, if, you, if you go and watch that video, uh, uh, I agree to what Pastor Kachi said. I, I think Pastor Priji would share something more on that as well. But go and watch that video. They have, it's an animated uh, video for kids. But the way they have represented and shown, uh, it's very dramatic. And uh, that would answer most of their question. Like, you know, in the, in the Bible, it's just mentioned once, verse after verse. But they have visualized, they have dramatized, and they have... Uh, it's made for kids, so you know, don't try and find faults in it because it's made for kids. But it's a very nice visual video which shows about the creation, the the fall of uh, man and uh, mankind, and, and you know how angel, uh, uh, especially Lucifer, he rebelled in heaven and how God abandoned them on the earth. So yeah, just watch. It's it's fun, you know. Uh, it, it's made for kids. I have watched it three times, uh, oh, and I loved it. I think Pasapriji also watched it once. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. 
So I, you know, so it's very well established that they are angels um, and that they are angels that had um, intercourse with human women uh, and that is how giants came about. See, the angels had a, a very unusual stature, unusual physical stature because of which giants were birthed on the earth. Now, you may ask... Is it, is it the Goliath the same? Like we see the Goliath's brothers and Goliath, all this... Because Goliath's brother, David's brother killed them. So these are the giants of generation, is it? Absolutely. Those are also giants. They, 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 were, they were definitely physical giants. But the giants that we read about in the book of Genesis is completely different because they were born out of a very uh, different dynamic. Let me, let me explain to you why this happened. When mankind sinned in the book of Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says when Adam and Eve sinned, God came and God cursed Satan and God cursed the earth and God disciplined and punished man and woman and God restricted them, right? And then God gave a prophetic word. Do you remember the prophetic word that God gave? God told the, the, you know, the group assembled there is the serpent, Adam and Eve, right? Now God says, the seed of this woman will crush the head of the serpent. So that was a prophecy of a person that will be born out of Adam and Eve out of human race. See, Satan was of a different race. Satan was not of this race. Satan was not made in God's image. One of the reasons why the sons of God found human beings so attractive was because they were made in God's image. No one else in all of creation was made in God's image. Only you and I are made in God's image. Not the creation, no animals, no angels, all of them, they desire to be like us because we are made in God's image. Now, these guys are a completely different species. These angels, as powerful and as glorious as they may look, they are a different species and we are a different species. What God said is, out of this species, a seed will come out of this species which will crush your head. So what the serpent tried to do is to corrupt the human race so that the seed that will come out of Adam and Eve will not be pure anymore. Do you understand why there would be intermarriages between the angels and human beings? Because God said, what did God say? The seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. So the, the only way that this could be prevented is if he will corrupt the seed of this woman. Is if he would corrupt the human race. And that is why God was so upset with humanity in Genesis chapter 6. Because, you know, God said, if I would continue to allow this, then there is going to be no scope or no way for redemption. Because the seed of the woman is now going to be corrupted, right? Now, the, for the word to come to pass, God had to put a restriction there. 
and that is why God wiped out the whole world. We may think, why would God be so disastrous to wipe out the whole world? And, and when God looked at Noah, the Bible says God f- found this one family which was pure. This one family which was, which was set apart. And God said, I'm going to preserve them and I'm going to destroy the rest. And I'm going to restart the process. And uh, so that is why God destroyed everything and restarted the whole thing. Uh, so the purpose with which Genesis chapter 6 happened or why the sons of God intermarried with the sons of uh, the, the daughters of man was because there was, a, there was a strategy from the pit of hell saying, let us corrupt this seed that is supposed to come out of this woman. And uh, yeah, that is the, that's the background. Thank you. Vivek. I'm Vivek. Uh, Pastor, uh, I have some doubts related to altars which have been, uh, been preached uh, sometime back. Hmm. But uh, according to me, the New Testament hmm. thing, hmm. altars are, I mean, like the biggest altar that can be built is Jesus' sacrifice. And what is expected from us is just belief and uh, belief in Jesus and his sacrifice. Hmm. Why should we build our own uh, altars after that? Because in the Old Testament, there was no uh, Jesus' sacrifice and all. Okay, they built altars. We... Our, our altar is already built. So why should we build altars? That's my question. Beautiful. Thank you. Who would like to start and then I'll follow. Yeah, Pastor Jojo, he's, he just did a teaching with Pastor Vijay on altars. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, that's a great question, Vivek. Uh, um, to understand that, uh, like if you watched this sermon last week with Pastor Vijay, he said, altar when we build an altar is to bring God into the equation. Which means it's not just an act or it's just not a ritual that you end up doing. Because when you build an altar, there is an element of sacrifice that is involved. Like for example, you said Jesus Christ, when he sacrificed himself on the cross, that was the biggest altar that we can see. So there was an element of sacrifice of Jesus, Jesus' life itself. Now, as his sons and daughter, we have this responsibility of, you know, representing him in our daily life by building altars, which is again not, of course, we, we, we're not saying that we got to put up on the cross, but there is an element of sacrifice because it has to pinch you. It has to hurt you because the moment the hurt comes in, you know, you actually understand the heart of God. And that's how you bring God into equation. It's like... Dying by yourself, you know, I don't know if you have had that experience, like if you, if you, if you do something, you know, so bad, so, so, so good that you're ready to even die for it. You know, that's the heart, that's the feeling, that's the emotion that you bring in. In similar context, when you build an altar, you know, nowadays it's more about, uh, you know, the way we build altar is like you put offering, you bring your financial, uh, you know, tithes and offerings or whatever financial capacity that you have. Uh, but back in the day, if you see Old Testament, it was about sacrificing the best bull or the best animal that they had. So again, there's an emotion of sacrifice that is, uh, that is bought. In today's context, if I had to answer you, is simple, is to bring God into the equation. That's one of the very reasons why we have to consistently build order, because it keeps us uh, if I can say this, is, it keeps us alive. It keeps us moving in the right direction that God wants us. Because 
every single uh, Bible character that you pick up, what they've done is they've built an altar at different levels of their life. I'm not talking about Jesus, but just take about any person, let's say King David. King David was a man who would build altars like every single time he has a victory, every single time he goes into a battle, he will build an altar. You know, so it's not just a, a part saying that I want to do this, but it's a lifestyle that we as uh, sons and daughters, we need to uh, follow. Amen. Bible so, says it's more about trust is what we need. We say, or the belief in Jesus is what we need. That's, that's the thing because the, it's already been done. So because that, that's the main thing because the ultimate sacrifice is already done. So uh, for us, it's more about just the belief is what is expected. Uh, that's what the uh, Bible says. That's what I understand. Right, my understanding right, right. wrong there. I'm, no. I'm, Can right. I also say this? A Christian life is a, has to be a life of sacrifice. We should live a life of sacrifice as we navigate this journey, you know, whatever span that we have. Which means we have to, uh, you know, we have to put that offering saying that I'm ready. All, yeah, I agree what you said, like the biggest sacrifice is already done. But as we journey, there are many sacrifices that you and I has to go across. And that's where, you know, we always uh, connect. Amen. So just to add to it, I understand your perspective. Uh, now, what you should understand is that in the Old Testament, there were different types of altars. Not only, so what you're referring to is the altar for sin. There is an altar, there is a sacrifice specifically to take care of my sin. That you and I don't have to do anymore. Nobody, like there is Catholic church, in the Catholic church, you have to pay money to buy penance. You don't do that anymore. In the New Testament, all forgiveness or your salvation is no longer by what you pay or what you give. You cannot earn forgiveness by what you do. You, you can never pay a price high enough for your forgiveness because Jesus paid that on the cross, right? Yet, there were other altars which were not altars for our forgiveness, which were altars of worship, which were altars of thanksgiving, which were altars of uh, peace, where, where they are saying, hey, you know, when they, would, when they would have a particular revelation. For example, when Gideon built an altar to God, it is not because God forgave him. It is because he had a particular revelation of who God is in his season and he built an altar to that. It is not because God was about to forgive him of any sin. Now, was there altars to ask for forgiveness in the Old Testament? Yes. Every year, the high priest, the whole nation would gather outside the temple and they will confess their sins and they will, it'll be like a day of repentance, like what we are going to do next Sunday. And, 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 they, and the high priest, he will repent first for his own sins and then for the sins of all the people, he will cry, pray, all of that. And then he will, he will, he will kill this particular animal and with fear and trembling, he will take the blood of this animal before the throne room. Only the high priest is allowed to go there. And the proof that the nation's sin has been forgiven is that this high priest will return back alive. If he, if he dies inside, it means God has not accepted the offering. It means this is it. We, we can, we, you know, we are in turmoil. This is a bad 
day for us. But all of that sacrifices that they used to do, it could only cover their sin. And when Jesus actually did go into the Holy of Holies, he came back alive. And that is why he told Mary, hey, wait a minute, don't touch me yet. I have not yet gone to my father. Because what he was doing is he was going to the father to pay the price. He was saying, here is my blood. I have paid the price for everything that these guys have messed up with. So the sacrifice of sin, you and I cannot do anything to pay the price for that. You and I cannot you know, go to church enough for forgiveness. You and I cannot give enough money for forgiveness. No, that comes only and only by trust and faith in Jesus. And then what about worship? What, why is it that we give even today? Why is it that we build altars today? It is not so that we can receive forgiveness for, for, for our sins, but it is because of a particular revelation that we have about who God is or a particular thing that we are grateful for, we are thankful for. See, when we are thankful, we give. When we are thankful, we, 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 we do not just say, oh, I, I, I thank you, God. The Bible says, honor the Lord with your substance. So then we, we give, you know, we build altars of thanksgiving. We build altars of, of, of breakthrough. We build altars when we are partnering with the work of God. You know, let me give you this verse, okay? This is Philippians chapter 4 and verse 18. Because you asked, where is altars in the New Testament? We're going to read this out, okay? Uh, indeed, I have all and abound and I'm full, having received from Ephroditus the things that you sent, the things sent from you, a sweet smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well pleasing to God. Now, Paul is not talking about prayers. You know, we'll say, oh, probably the people prayed for Paul and that was a sacrifice to God. No, the people, they sacrificially, the church at Philippi, they would sacrificially raise an offering and they would send it to Paul. Paul's whole ministry was sponsored by the church at Philippi. So Paul would point at that and say, hey, what you guys did, you may think this is just, you're just doing, you know, you're just supporting a man of God who is in need. But what you're doing is technically a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice that is well-pleasing to God. This is in the New Testament. This is after Jesus paid the price. This is after Jesus had already, you know, died for the sin of the whole world. That Paul says, hey, what you're doing now is still a sacrifice. You know, the Old Testament temple is only a replica of the temple that is in heaven. If you read the book of Revelation, you will see the entire picture of that of that, sorry. Or you will see the picture of that temple and you will see an altar there and you will see incense on that altar there and you will see sacrifices being brought, worship happening before that altar. So what we are doing on earth, when we give our offerings you know there was a time when bringing cattle to church was the most in thing you know today we we prefer not to carry cattle for three floors you know can you imagine <laughs> trying to bring a bullock up for three floors 
So we just prefer to get some cash instead of bringing that cattle. Uh, and and that, is, that is our currency today. That is what we use to measure, uh, you know, how much we give or how much we earn. And so, so that is why we do not just give with, with our lips, but we make sure that our giving, it, it overflows into material things that we build as an altar before God. So, so building an altar is bigger than giving to God. Because giving to God, you can give anything. Like giving to God, you can just give 100 rupees. That is giving. Small or big, whatever. You know, it's all part of giving. But building an altar is not that. Building an altar is sacrificial. If it is not sacrificial, it's not an altar. If it doesn't hurt, if it, do, if it doesn't pain you, then it is not an altar. You know, so building an altar is bigger than just giving an offering. You give an offering out of your abundance, but you give and you build an altar even in your lack. Even That is why Paul pointed at these guys and said, what you guys did, that was a sacrifice. That was not just any regular giving. That was an altar that you built to God. Anybody else want to add anything? Before? Uh, I think uh, if, you, if you go and read Romans 12, it tells you how you should sacrifice. You know, it says, uh, I appeal to you, therefore... Uh, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Okay, and uh, so we like Pastor. I want to add what Pastor Jojo said. We have to live a life of sacrifice. Okay, and if you read the later part of verse two, it says, "Do not be conformed to this world, but." Be transformed by the renewal of your mind and by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, so yes, you have to build altars, you have to build all altar sacrificially and your life is, should be a life of sacrifice. And I want to give one example, you know, when Jesus sent his disciple, uh, he sent it two by two. And he gave them clear instruction that don't carry anything for you. Because uh, Jesus knew that uh, when you go and give the good news, when you preach the kingdom of God, there will be people uh, who would build altars, who would sacrifice, who would give, who would take care of you. So with that, that understanding, Jesus sent his disciples. So, you know, like uh, here Paul is telling, you know, uh, he went out on a mission journey. He didn't carry anything, but people were taking care of him. So, our altars can do that in, in today's generation. You know, whatever you give sacrificially, whatever offering you bring, it helps preach the, the good news of God, the gospel of God. And there are so many unreached people. So, if you, if you stop building altars, your altars... Like, you know, the, the, uh, there would be still unreached people in the world. Okay. okay. Just to add uh, from what uh, my daddy and uh, other pastors have said, I have uh, three examples from the scripture. And number one was the woman who gave a coin while everyone was giving offering. Everyone gave thousands million as much as they can offer 
But this woman gave only what she has. Among everyone, this woman got the eyes of Christ. Mm. She gave all she has. I love yeah. how uh, Pastor Jojo put it earlier. He said, we should live a life of sacrifice every day of our life. A Christian life is a life of sacrifice. When you got born again, there are things that you had before you got born again, there are things you had so tight, which are more pleasing, very precious to you, as you thought. But once you encounter Christ, what happened? You have, you like, these things are good. Yeah, they're going to help me. But I have to let it go. Knowing you have no place to hold on to, you have nothing else to do without this. But once you let it go, that is the biggest sacrifice. Okay, for another instance, Jesus was with his disciple. This lady walked in with an oil. He broke it. She used it and washed the foot of Jesus. Why doing it? Judas said, what kind of thing are you doing? Don't you know this, you know, costs a lot. You know, humanly, what she offered, what she gave, doesn't make sense to us. What I'm doing, maybe I'm singing praise in a form that you don't understand. But I'm singing, I'm screaming, I'm crying. I'm giving a sacrifice of praise. You may not like it, you might say, what is he doing? Why is he wasting all his energy screaming? But to Jesus, to God, he understood the heart that we carry. He knew that we are offering everything that we carry. So if we can give something that costs us so much, I believe that is the best way of giving sacrifice to God. This is, you know, what I have to say. Amen. Can I, can I conclude it by saying uh, <clears throat> your altars moves God. Mm. It moved God in Old Testament, New Testament, and even today. Amen. Amen. Can I say one more thing? Uh, you know, uh, we, we try to find ways. You know, we, we live in a world where we, we live by rule, we live by pattern. We, want, we have checklist, to-do list. And I'm not sure about others, but for the longest of time, I wanted to build altar in such a way that works so you know there are so many ways uh, you know whenever we have an opportunity to ask Pastor Shaiji Matthew that how do you build altars tell us the way you build altars in different ways we kept asking him and the only thing he kept replying to us is your altars are your revelation okay and what we try to do is like uh, even I ask Pastor Prijita sometimes you know certain things and you know I know that when Pastor Priji builds his altar in a certain way, in a certain posture, in a certain amount, for that matter, let's be very raw. Like, you know, if, if uh, Pastor Priji says, like, you know, I, I, I built an altar for 10K, I would think, oh, so far I was building an altar for 5K, let's bump it up to 10K and it will work for me. Uh, it would never work, you know. Uh, go back, read uh, 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 Romans 12, chapter 1, you know, the Holy Spirit will reveal you uh, and once you have the revelation of altar, 
your altar will move God. Okay, you copy pasting somebody's way of building altars won't work for you. Okay, now uh, Abraham sacrificed, was about to uh, sacrifice his son on that altar. Now, if you think I'll try and do the same thing, okay, you know, maybe the angel of God won't come. <laughs> right, so, you know, I, I'll, I'll save everybody's time, okay? Uh, Pastor Preeti, we've, we've tried asking that so many ways, like, you know, how do you do, what did you do, tell us your secret and all. Uh, don't spend your time and energy in finding secrets. Uh, instead, go on your knees, ask God for a revelation, and once you have the revelation, uh, your altars will move God. It moved in the Old Testament, it is moved in the days of Apostle, and, and it can move now as well. Amen. 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 Brother there. My name is Chooks. Hallelujah. Let me differentiate uh, religious and doctrine. The difference between religious and doctrine is really, really confusing, every, now, especially nowadays. Okay. Number two is uh, what are the steps, like a baby, I'm still a baby in the Lord, okay? They, what are the steps to take if you want to receive the Holy Spirit? Because I was in a church one certain day, and I realized uh, the pastor was actually worshiping God, and he said, everybody lift up your hands and begin to speak in tongues, you know? Me, I don't really know what to speak, and I was saying, thank you, Jesus. But I see a lot of people in my back speaking in tongues. I was wondering, even children, so I was like, what is going on? And so the person asked, say, if you don't know how to speak in tongues, say, la, 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 you know? <laughs> I begin to look, la, 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 you know? Please, sir, please, as a baby, what okay. are the steps? You okay. know? Thank you. Amazing. That's a very important question, and I believe that many, many will have similar questions. And uh, the difference between doctrine and religion is this. Religion is man's way of, or man's method of trying to reach God. When we try to do our things to try and have a relationship with God, that becomes religion. Uh, like Pastor Robin was saying, if we, if we look at somebody else and say, okay, this is what this person does, or this is what that person does, and we try to do the same thing, that, can be, that will become religious. But doctrine is established based on scripture. Doctrine is what God has established in his word. We see, for example, you know, something about the Holy Spirit. How do we know if it is religion or if it is doctrine? If it is, if it is something that is originating from us, then it is religion. But if it is something that you see as a doctrine in the scripture, you see this being practiced and spoken of in the Old Testament, you see this being taught by Jesus. You see this as a practice in the New Testament by the epistles. Now we know that it's a, it's a doctrine. It's no longer about just a religious custom. Okay? Now, let me, let me give you something which is a religion but not necessarily a doctrine. We gather, Christians gather in church on Sunday mornings. Is that a religion or is that doctrine? That is religious. We are being very religious people by gathering in church on Sundays. That's not doctrine. There is no doctrinal belief system that every Sunday morning you need to come to church. There is, a, there is emphasis on us gathering together, but it doesn't have to be on Sundays. It can be on any days. In fact, in the days of the Bible, they used to meet every day. In the Old Testament, there would be offerings every day. 
you know so it so there's so the sunday service is a religion but what is a doctrine doctrine is the gathering or the assembly of the saints that is the doctrine you understand the difference when somebody says oh i i am i, I will i will never do anything else on a sunday morning that person is being religious like i i have a principle that i will never travel on a sunday morning or i will never miss a sunday morning service even if i'm in a different nation city whatever i will i i have a principle that i i will never go for a wedding or or anything that happens on a sunday morning even a funeral if it happens on a sunday morning i will not go uh because i am very religious about my desire to be in a church on a sunday morning that's not doctrine it's not something that i can prove with scripture that is my principle or my standard that i have put for myself but if you ask me is there a doctrinal expectation that god has from us no that's not uh, so that's how you distinguish between uh, religion and doctrine now going to the steps to be filled in the holy spirit that's a very powerful question and and i'm sure many of them will also contribute uh when you receive jesus it is impossible for you to receive jesus in your heart as your savior and as your lord if you are not moved by the holy spirit if you are not convicted by the holy spirit so the holy spirit is already working on your heart even before you have received jesus but when you say jesus come into my heart what happens is the holy spirit comes into your heart jesus is still sitting in heaven jesus did not come into your heart the holy spirit who is the representative of the triune god he comes into your heart and he comes in to fellowship with you that is what happens when you receive jesus into your heart now even though the holy spirit is in you it doesn't necessarily mean that you are filled by the holy spirit see those who drink wine will understand this it's one thing to drink wine it's another to be drunk by wine anybody wave your hands to me <laughs> nobody okay everybody's trying to be so holy and safe and and make sure pastor doesn't call you for counseling later <laughs> so so you can have wine in you and yet not have the wine lead you you see the difference so you can have the holy spirit in you and yet not be filled by the holy spirit see when we talk about jesus jesus is the best example of somebody who would give us the steps of growing in a relationship with the holy spirit the bible says jesus was conceived by the holy spirit christmas time right we read this story we will keep reading this story the bible says the gabriel came to mary and said the holy ghost will overshadow you and this will happen by the power of the holy spirit the seed in you you will be conceived by the the child will be conceived by the holy spirit so there was a new birth that happened how did that happen by the holy spirit when the holy spirit came in right and yet at the age of 30 the bible says jesus did something that made the holy spirit come and fill him 
he obeyed he walked in obedience he he had he walked 30 years in submission and obedience and at one point he went to the extent of getting baptized in water he says as he came out of water heavens opened the voice came and the holy spirit descended on him and jesus was filled with the holy spirit that happened even though jesus was born in this spirit being filled in the spirit came at a very later point do you see that there is growth so sometimes we think that okay i'm born in the spirit that's enough i'll go to heaven no that's not enough there is more that you can experience it's not enough to just be saved and just be born in the spirit it's necessary that you be filled in the spirit then you would see that jesus didn't say okay wow now that i'm filled in the spirit i can take life easy no the next verse it says jesus was now led by the spirit where the spirit drove him into the wilderness to fast and to pray okay this is all from luke chapter 3 ending and chapter 4 starting you can go back and read it says jesus was now driven or led by the spirit and that's why the bible says those who are led by the spirit of god are sons of god are children of god not just those who believe in jesus but those who are led by the spirit of god now in the 40 days in the wilderness that was a dying process for jesus and when he would come out of the wilderness in luke chapter 4 and verse 14 the bible says he came with the power of the holy spirit now do you see the difference what was the initial thing he was born of the spirit then he was filled by the spirit then he was led by the spirit now he is now he is walking in the power of the spirit there are four different levels now what you are talking about is the second level where you speak about where you where there is an overflow where you're filled in the spirit where you're not just born in the spirit but there is a overflow of the holy spirit through your words where you start speaking in tongues and there is a river that is flowing every time you open your mouth to speak and you pray uh, there is that happens at the second juncture Uh, so if you're asking what is the steps to reach there one of course obedience if you're not yet water baptized get water baptized if there is any areas in your life where you need to obey the lord where you need to submit to the lord submit that to the lord uh, second you need to uh, study god's word and understand uh, you know one of the best ways to uh, have the gifts of speaking in tongues manifest in your life is to read all the scriptures that talk about speaking in tongues and uh, and read them and say hey if this happened in those days it can happen in my life so saturate yourself in the knowledge of that the third thing that you can do is in a time of worship when you see that the spirit of god is moving open your mouth wide and let the lord fill you and release this new language and this new river through you what many people do is this they they wait for something to happen they they are waiting for for god to force them to speak that will not happen it has to it has to be you who will speak but the spirit of god will give you utterance will give you words in your mouth to speak and it is a new language and when the language comes you will not know everything overnight 
but you will get one or two words or you will get one or two sentences and as you start speaking them the river will begin to flow and multiply it's like how ezekiel began to swim in the river when it began he didn't sink in he he just had the river only to his ankles he didn't say wow nice cool water let me go back home and and tell the testimony of how how the water cooled my legs it says he kept going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper till there was till he began to swim in the river so that is how you grow in your in your ability to flow in the gift of of, of speaking in tongues uh, so if you're not if you do not have that gift already what do you do the first thing you should do is find any areas in your life where you need to obey second saturate yourself in scriptures that talk about this this gift of speaking in tongues third move yourself by faith activate your faith and move yourself open your mouth wide and speak in and 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 let the holy spirit fill you when you're in an atmosphere of worship when you're in an atmosphere of uh, of praise when you're in an atmosphere of prayer open your mouth wide and the holy spirit will give you words i'll tell you my story okay when i got saved uh this was the year 2000 okay and i got saved and i uh, was uh, i got baptized the very next month and four people got baptized on the same day that i got baptized and i don't know how how or why but all three of them started speaking in tongues in the next few months okay and i'm looking at myself and i'm saying what a big sinner i am i must be what a what a you know this is like cain you know feeling jealous about abel because god is accepting their offering and they have this gift of speaking in tongues but look at me i am nowhere i i can't i can't seem to do this and you know i and i would i would fast and i would pray and i would have great many men of god who would come lay hands on me prophesy preach pray for me and and yet nothing will come out of my lips and all all the time i was expecting like you know this is this is my expectation i was expecting what i experienced when i put my hand into the electric socket you know uh, you know where i had a experience i remember this there was a screw in the electric socket and i went to remove it without knowing the electric socket is on you know when i tried removing it i found myself in the other end of the room so every time that i would pray i would hope that you know when i pray i will be in the other end of the church by the by the time this prayer is over and you know and i and i hope and i kept hoping for somebody to throw me off or something to happen some electric you know shock or earthquake or something like that but it didn't happen and uh, you know I, and i kept hoping that you know suddenly god will force me to speak in tongues and i kept praying like that for 5 years hoping that something will change and one day i remember i went into this conference and you know there were hundreds of people lined up okay and the and the preacher he is come from the united states and he's praying for everybody everybody is filled it's almost like god chose to ignore me and god went to the next person and everybody left right everybody is filled and i am standing there without any understanding of what is going on and uh, and then i went back home very heartbroken uh, on the way home this man of god he he reached out to me and he came and told me hey you know what you're already filled go ahead start speaking by faith 
and i went home and i started praying and god started speaking to me and you know i started hearing some things and and i said god this sounds like blasphemy if i say this and if this is not from the holy spirit i may be i may be cursing somebody or you know i may be using some swear words but but by faith because you know you should understand your mind is the biggest block to the things of the spirit if you let your mind overthink you cannot move in the spirit so i said okay for once i'm just going to keep my mind out and i'm going to begin to function in the spirit and then i you know i just started speaking those few words those few words became sentences and then it became a whole language that would flow the fruit of how i knew this is from god is that immediately i started seeing visions immediately i started hearing prophecies immediately i started seeing the gifts of the holy spirit manifest through my life and that's how i knew that okay wait this is not just me trying to make this up this is this is a spiritual river that i'm flowing in and that is a sign that okay this is truly a infilling presence of the holy spirit amen so many many a times we may have a language but we have to pray that that language will become new every sunday that you come to church or every time that you pray you need to pray that you will have fresh rivers access to new rivers access to new streams every single time that you pray and this morning as we pray i am sure we are we are out of time this morning but i i'm sure that some of you will tap into new rivers this morning that some of you will tap into new streams that if you've been just speaking in tongues this morning you will begin to see visions that if you've been seeing visions this morning you will begin to interpret what you have been speaking in tongues if you've been interpreting what you've been speaking in tongues that this morning you will begin to prophesy that if you've been prophesying that this morning you will walk in the gift of faith that if you've already been having the gift of faith that this morning there will be a a healing healing gift that will manifest through your life that if you already have that then there will be a gift of giving that will manifest that new streams will be attached to your spirit and there will be a multiplication that will come upon you you know according to the measure of our faith according to the measure of our expectation you know we are going to pray and we are going to be seated here and everybody is welcome to just come and and receive a word uh but don't come expecting an electric shock praise god if that happens to you but don't come just expecting an electric shock come expecting a new river to be attached to your spirit a new stream to flow out of you a new uh, a, a new revelation that will be released through your life in this season you know god is preparing us in this next 10 days today's 20 20th in this next 10 11 days the lord is preparing us for 2021 so everything that we need to sustain our walk with god to sustain our uh, relationships to sustain our marriages to sustain our finances in 2021 is going to be deposited into your spirit as you come to receive this word today everything that you need it is going to be deposited into your spirit may just be one word but it is going to be released into your spirit so come come hungry you know even as i say this i can i can i can feel electric shock flowing on my hand and i i believe that the lord is going to really cause a a new wave to to push you into things that you cannot ordinarily naturally flow into the lord is going to push you into that this morning 
and the Lord is going to prepare you into the next level. Amen? Amen. Are you ready? Yes. Are you ready to pray? So this morning, we will we'll skip the benediction for this morning. So, uh, so anybody that, that needs prayer, anybody that is hungry, anybody that is thirsty, can we all just come ahead and just... Uh, what we'll do is anybody that is, that is wanting to receive from the Lord, you can just come ahead. And uh, if, you, if you receive prayer from one person, you can... You can move on and so that everybody gets a chance. Everybody uh, receives prayer in one way or the other. The worship team can come on and you know, we'll continue to worship for a little while. And uh, let's be hungry. Let's pray together first. Father, we invite your presence once again, Lord. Lord, you told us at the beginning of this service, you told us that you are going to use us to prophetically minister to your children, to prophetically place a seed into the hearts and the minds of your children. And so as your servants, we stand in the gap for your dear children right now. We stand in the gap for your servants, your sons and daughters, and we, we receive, we say yes, we say an amen to everything that you are going to do for your children this morning. We say a yes and an amen, Lord. Flow, Holy Spirit. Flow, Holy Spirit. Flow in a new and a fresh manner. In a very deep and a personal manner, Lord. Flow this morning. Yes, Holy Spirit, use us to minister to your people in a, in a personal, prophetic and a precise way to each and every child of yours. Yes, Lord, we receive your grace. And in Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Thank you for downloading today's sermon. We hope this ministered to you and your family today. Connect with us at dreamingrevival.com and you are welcome to join in to any of our Sunday celebration service at 11 a.m. Or you can tune in to our live stream at youtube.com slash God bless you and have a blessed week.